Mm, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. I think you'll enjoy this weekend. Uh, I think that you'll find this series to be uh, very informing, enlightening, uh, as a believer in particular. I think maybe it'll help you to navigate and to chart a course for how to handle things that we see around us. Before we jump into it, uh, two quick things. Uh, the first one, let me, uh, you, you saw our missions moment a second ago, and um, I, I thought maybe, um, maybe I should do this real quickly. Uh, Larry Good and I go way back in history with each other. When I was a staff pastor, youth pastor actually, at a church up in northern Colorado, I met Larry at that time, and I think, I think Larry was the very first mission trip uh, you had ever been on. We had, we had gone together, and uh, it, was a, it was a tremendous mission trip. We had we'd gone to Romania, and, and uh, Larry and I just hit it off. Um, when we started the church, Larry was very instrumental in helping Chris and I to, uh, he just did whatever it took. Uh, Larry would come down and answer telephones. Uh, he helped us with signage. Uh, he stood at the door and greeted. There were so many things that Larry did. And as time and, and um, you know, uh, just, just uh, events have a way of going, Larry and I, uh, he had moved. He sold his business, had moved. Um, we, we had lost touch as the years went by. It was one of those things I always wondered where he was and how he was, and I, I think that he wondered that about me. Uh, I don't know if he'll admit it, but uh, we, we just had that relationship with each other. And uh, a friend of mine here in the church had invited me down to a ministry in Peru, and we were at the airport getting ready to go back home. And uh, our interpreter just happened to ask me when she found out we were from Colorado, now six billion people on the planet, a little more than that, here's what she says to me, uh, do you know Larry Good? And I'm like, I do know a Larry Good, but it cannot be the same Larry Good. So I said, well, I, I do, but, you know, how do you know him? And she goes, oh, Brother Larry is a missionary down here in Peru. And I said, well, let's call him because I want to see if it's the same guy. Well, lo and behold, 15 minutes later, I'm talking to the guy that, uh, that I had sort of grown up with and cut my teeth in ministry with, and it's that Larry. And Larry's like, well, John, I moved down here to Peru, and I've started a ministry, and I'm giving my life to this, came over to the airport real quick, and we talked, and I said, Larry, uh, I, I, how, it's undeniable that God is, is trying to reconnect us on something. So it wasn't long after that, I had gone back down there, and uh, we began to invest heavily in what we saw. Folks, I don't know, you know, the Bible just says this, uh, pure and undefiled religion is simply this, to take care of the widow and the orphan in their need. That's, that's if you want to boil it all down, those are two things right there that are just absolutely undeniable. And that's what this man is doing down in Peru. And, of course, we've become heavily involved. We send several trips down a year. It's, it's blossomed into this tremendous thing. His ministry is it's a five-star ministry. If you ever want to go and just get the best of, of being able to do ministry, have your heart torn out, but come back to you in such a wonderful way where it's, it's more than it ever was before, go on one of our trips down to Peru. This ministry means so much to me. I've actually uh, I sold one of my motorcycles one time in a fundraiser to, to give the money to it. I've given personally to it. Our staff is involved in this. Uh, what am I trying to say? Here's what we prayed downstairs. Lord, please capture our people's minds, capture their hearts, and then this is what I said, and please capture their wallets too because this ministry needs more than we could possibly ever do in just one shot. Uh, folks, if you're looking for a place to invest, I cannot more highly recommend this ministry uh, to you. I personally am involved there. I personally know this guy for 26 or 27 years. Uh, it's, it's everything we say, and then we can't actually represent uh, everything else that it, that it is. Uh, if you need to know more, talk to him after the service. If you can take my word for it, boy, how much pastor could we give? I, I don't know, give him $100,000 this weekend. That'd be awesome. Larry, that'd be okay? 
It'd be all right with you? Okay, so Larry's fine with that. If you want to do that, God bless you, do it. All right, uh, the other thing, just real quickly, that I, I want to do too, if you're a newcomer to any of our campuses, then I want to give you just a, a quick calendar. You might want to grab a pen. Uh, we'll announce this again, but just so that you see it, uh, a newcomer's meeting is simply this. If you're new to our church, you haven't made this meeting, you're considered a newcomer. So you could have been here for a couple of years, but if you never made this yet, we want you to be there. I want a chance to get to meet you. I want you to hear a little bit about our church. We'll talk about involvement. Terry was right on community, but community can start for you right here at this point. Some people are like, I want to know more about the church before I decide on community. This meeting would be for you. So Lone Tree, August the 19th, that's coming up here this next week. Be down in Castle Rock on September the 16th next month. Highlands Ranch, October the 14th, Lakewood, November the 18th. So here's the next go-around at each of the campuses uh, for the newcomers meeting. By the way, if you're a part of our online community, which is actually a quite large campus, then I want to invite you, if you live in one of these cities or close to it, go to that one right there. Even though you're like, well, I kind of like the idea of being able to just do it online. You still need community, and I'm going to encourage you, be a part of one of these right here. Love to meet you, love to hear your story, love to tell you a little bit more about the church and how you can get involved. So uh, make sure and attend one of our newcomers. All right, enough of all those things. On the way in, you're handed the notes for this weekend. Uh, go ahead and grab them. We'll jump into this. We titled our series, brand new, Unorthodox. And unorthodox simply, orthodox just means something pertaining to the idea that this is right, uh, this is an agreed upon. Uh, when we talk about scripture, we'll say that scripture is orthodox. It's an agreed upon. Uh, it doesn't vary. It doesn't change. And it's been that way for a long time. Unorthodox then would be the opposite of that. And we titled it this simply because uh, if you're a believer looking at uh, society at large today, looking at culture in particular, you can find that things that were orthodox not that long ago have become orthodox, unorthodox today. And so you ask yourself then, okay, how, how do I function in this? What does God want from me in this? What am I supposed to do with this? How, how, do, we, how do we get our way? Do I just survive? Do I, do I kind of withdraw from it? Do I confront it? You know, what do I do? So the first message, let me just tell you right off the bat, we design every one of our first messages to be as wide as possible. We want as many people to hear the message, as many people to be drawn into it, and then we'll go and begin to chart a course as we go down through it. So over the next several weeks, we'll look at how you live, how you survive, how you can prosper in culture around you regardless of what's going on. But this one, man, is pretty broad brush. It's pretty broad strokes. The idea of, look, I think we all can find ourselves in a position of thinking these things from time to time. So we just tried to call it out here. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 is kind of a scripture that I used as a, a launching point to this. Isaiah wrote this uh, about uh, 3,000 years ago, 2,800 years ago. And this is what Isaiah said concerning culture. Woe to those of you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and who put bitter things for sweet and sweet things for bitter. Yes or no? you find ourselves today maybe considering that all of a sudden people at one time said this was wrong and this was right, all of a sudden are saying this is right. And this is, you find yourself caught in that little dilemma today. Find yourself looking at things that we knew as believers, hey, this is light and this is darkness today. It's almost switched in front of us. Well, here's what Isaiah said then. Woe to you. It's a, here's what he meant. It's just simply, it's, an une, it's not easy to figure out what to do. It's not easy to figure out how to live and how to chart that and how, how, to, how to make your way through that right there. It's a challenge. And that's what he's throwing out right here. So this would be sort of how we'd launch into this. I put as the bullet points, we just simply, we see this today. Yes or no, can you agree with the statement, culture has changed on us in the last five years in particular? Will you agree with that right there? 
I mean, we see it in the Supreme Court rulings around us. We see it in what people agree that is right and that is wrong. Things that we would have taken for granted and said, hey, this will never be an issue, suddenly we see as an issue today. So the greater question is just, what do you do about it? So getting with the teaching team, putting this out there and asking, talk to our people. Where are our people? Let's don't just decide this on our own. Let's ask our people, what are you experiencing? So we came up with really uh, four options that believers face today, four options that people are taking today. Now, when I say these things, look, I'm not going to condemn you for doing any one of these things, but I think that there's one of the four that's the way to go, and uh, I think you can figure out. So the first one, here's an option, handling culture today, handling when things, you you don't agree with them, you don't get it. The first one's just simply confrontation, and I put it as a zealot. How many of you know there have been zealots in the Bible forever? The world's always had zealots. Zealots are the ones who just simply challenge everything. They're ready to yell. They're ready to pick it. They're ready to get involved, get in your face. They're ready to be physical if it comes to... Peter was a zealot. The Bible says when they came to arrest Jesus, one of the most critical times when Christ himself said, this has to happen, this is going to take place, this is what has to take place so that the Son of Man fulfills what the Father wants him to do. Peter's response to that was to get a sword out. Do you remember the story? And to start swinging wildly. And he cut off one guy's ear, not even a soldier, a servant's ear. (laughs) Zealots tend to just cut, swing and cut. They don't aim, they just like, watch out, do damage. And then, of course, Jesus' response to that was, get his other ear. No, here, what did he say? What did he say? What did he do? I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. He bent down, What, what did he do? healed his ear, and then this is what he told people. Peter, if you live by the sword, you'll, you'll die by the sword. I think it's wisdom for today to realize that God, God's, God's thought towards how to handle conflict is not to be confrontational where we're just going to just physically take it on. How about this? You cannot win physically taking it on. It's not God's way through it. I remember uh, first, first full-time place I ever pastored. Uh, I pastor was in the South, and it was with a group of people who, who picketed uh, an abortion provider. And as soon as I get there, this guy, I mean, man, he made a beeline for me. And he's like, if you're a real believer, if you really love God, if you really want to lead people, you'll be with us tomorrow as we go. Well, what do you say to that? I'm not a real believer. I don't love God. And I'm not going to lead you. Of course. So I'm there the next morning and I go with him. And this guy, we get down and he is screaming and yelling at people, standing in front. I mean, Women would go in, and this guy, here's what I learned right off the bat. Two people can do the same thing, and one can do it from a completely wrong heart, and the other one can do it from a completely right heart. Two people can hold the same sign, but one is there because abortion's evil, and the people who get one are wicked. And the other one is there because he's reaching out to a woman who feels like she may have no choice in life. Yes or no? Those are the same thing, but they're two different people. Yes or no? I... I Within two days' time, my first lesson in the difference between life and death was with this guy. Because I realized everything that he was doing, he thought, man, you just have to to confront. There was no life in him whatsoever. None. And because he had no life, no one else could have life. He just didn't want to even be around him. There was such a a spirit about him. You know, the, the fooling thing in it is that like Peter, I I guarantee you he would have said, I'm defending Christ. But it's not what Christ wanted him to do. You're quiet, are you okay? Think. Just think. 
Confrontation is not new. It's the zealot approach. Picket, yell, become physical, do whatever it takes. Got to recognize right off the bat that that's not always, hey, there's times to be confrontational for sure. In defending someone, standing up for something, there are times to be confrontational. I'm not saying to never be confrontational. Certainly Jesus was confrontational when it called for it. The woman that was brought to him who was found to be in adultery, Jesus stood up for her. Do you agree with that? He put his life on the line right there as they held rocks. But there's a difference between those two. One is life-giving and one is death. How about the second one here, just disengagement. This is one that I think a lot of people today, um, this is the easy one. Uh, it's kind of an isolationist approach. Um, you, you familiar with the Amish? So we've, we've got some relatives that live up in Amish country in Pennsylvania. And I've been there and seen it. And it's just like they stopped living in the United States about 150 years ago. So they won't drive cars. And they don't use electricity for the most part. And the tools that they use are tools from 150 years ago when they harvest. They don't use... Mo- they, they are stuck in a place. Because here's what they believe. That to do those things makes us part of a culture that we don't want to be. So they seceded from the culture. And yet they stand out like sore thumbs. I don't think people are beating down the door to be Amish. In fact, I think most of them are trying to... Can we get out? It's true. And so in a way, when you disengage from, from the culture, you, you, you're like the spiritual Amish. You're stuck in a time warp. You don't notice it because everybody around you is doing the same thing, but you stand out like a pariah. And it looks weird. And I don't think that's what God wants. Quakers are like that. The, the thought is, we're just simply not a part of this America. Huh. What did Jesus ever have to say about disengagement from culture? Here's Luke 19.13. Jesus called ten of his servants, he's speaking, and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, what's the next word right there? Occupy until I return, until I come back again. So Jesus, he's actually using the story of ten servants who are given talents by their master to invest those talents in the world with the culture, with society, to make a difference with people. And this is what he says, I'm going away when I come back. I'm going to get from you what I gave you plus what you've done. So here's what you need to do while I'm gone, occupy. He does not tell them, secede. He does not tell them, vanish, hide away. Paul dealt with this in the early church, by the way, too. There were a group of Christians who were so convinced that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, they seceded from society. They quit their jobs. They all hung out together. They fellowshiped together. They wouldn't even eat with anybody else. Paul had to go to that group of Christians and tell them, get back involved in society. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, and you look like a weirdo. <laughs> he didn't say it quite that way, but that was the, that was the thought behind it. True, true story. Disengagement is not the command that we were given. To occupy means to take the place of, can you agree with this? Yes or no? Yes or no? Regardless if you see Christ as Lord, what Jesus, at least you have to admit this, he engaged the culture around him. Whoever he found, wherever he found, here's what the Bible says about him. He was the friend of gluttons and sinners. 
Now, today, well, I got a lot of friends that are gluttons. But back then, that was a problem. It was a sin, a big sin. Jesus engaged his culture. Look, it, he never allowed it to change him. He changed it, but he never hid from his culture, did he? Always responded to his culture. Always, invade, always occupied in his culture. So the third one, and I'll just throw this one out. Maybe this gets a little personal. It's just simply uh, the option of compromise. What's compromise? Well, compromise simply is that um, the, 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 the veracity with which we've seen culture change. Yes or no? It's at a high velocity. It's come fast and it's come furious. And I know you can look back over 20 years and say, well, yeah, well, we saw little things happening. But once, once it finally flooded, it, it flooded quickly. I mean, the, in, in my lifetime, I don't think I'm an old man, but in my lifetime, I feel like, wow, things changed just since I was in my 40s. Especially since I was a youth pastor, since I planted this church, and that hasn't been that long. So it changed with, with a quick velocity, a veracity, just a boom. I mean, it was just quick. Compromise is to look at the veracity, the velocity, the, the volume with which it happened and to decide, you know what, maybe we don't know. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe, maybe that's the way it's, maybe we need to get with it. So I'll become a part of, so look at me real quick and let me just say this. You won't find people my age for the most part who have trouble with that. What you'll find is younger people who have trouble with that. So what we have today is the war even within the church where younger people look at older people and go, well, what's wrong with? Jesus loves everybody, right? So when I was a kid, when I was coming up, the most famous scripture was John 3.16. God so loves the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Do you know what it is today? Judge not, lest you be judged. Fact. There's a culture switch inside of the church even today. Young people who look at orthodox doctrine and go, why should I believe that? Or why should I hold on to it? Well, can't I love Jesus and? So some of you right now, it's a conundrum to you. It, it, I put my finger on something that stands out there. So Jesus, what did he ever say concerning issues of compromise, of allowing culture to shape eternal decisions rather than eternity to shape those things. In Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking about end times, when he's talking about the last days, when he's talking about what it will be like and what people will go through and what people will experience, here's what Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Deception is a spirit that Jesus predicted would be loosed upon people in the last days. So let me, can I just talk about deception for a moment? So the, the point about deception is that when you're deceived, you don't know it. That, I mean, that's what makes it... So if you've ever talked to somebody who's deceived over an issue and you just try to out-argue, can you out-argue a person in deception? You know what's funny? They think they can't out-argue you. But if truth isn't subjective and there is actual truth, then not everybody can be right. Just by definition. Do you agree? So therefore, there has to be deception and there has to be truth. Jesus predicts and says, watch out 
that in those times during that day, when that spirit is loose, don't let it get you. So maybe, maybe like a litmus test would be to ask, what did I used to consider orthodox that today I don't? What do you look at in the Bible and go, well, that's subjective. That's deception. Does that make sense? That's deception. I get tons of emails, especially as the Supreme Court made their decision in the last couple of months, things we read about in the newspaper. Uh, the baker. Do, I have to, do you know what I'm talking about when I say it? Christian Baker, a Christian photographer, sandwich maker. Pastor, what's the right way to go about this? How do we respond to this? How do we, do we support? Do we not support? What do we do? What? So listen, um, whether you think I'm right or whether you think I'm wrong, at least admire me for taking a stance right now and being willing to put it on the line. So I'll answer a question. Here's what I believe. Christian business owners should offer ordinary services to anyone who seeks them. Let me keep going. They should also be able to act on conscience when a customer asks them to celebrate or endorse behavior or points of view that go against their conscience. Somebody looks at me and goes, well, pastor, that's a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. Listen, it's the difference between selling your neighbor a donut or catering a wedding for somebody. They're two different things. And I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say because of everything I'm about to say, this may be the thing you need to learn to speak up for and to stand on. Listen to me. If you have a pen, you might want to write this down. It is called the liberty of conscience. The liberty of conscience. Pay attention to me right now. Don't tune me out. Listen to me. Liberty of conscience is so important that it can be applied both ways. Liberty of conscience is if a business owner feels, Christian in particular, that I cannot to do this would cause me to support or endorse something that the Bible specifically says I cannot. He has liberty of conscience to say no. Now, a person on the other side of the issue who goes, that's against the Constitution. Liberty of conscience applies both ways, so I want you to listen. If a gay baker was asked to bake a cake with the slogan that says, God hates gays on it by a Christian and refused to do so, that's liberty of conscience. And it has, so for those of you who are like, it cannot, it has to be both ways. It has to be. But before you end up on one side of this argument, like that, this just doesn't fly. Listen to me. If you're going to apply logic, you've got to apply it both ways. I do believe a business should serve, in the most part, anyone who walks in the door. But if you're asked to violate your conscience as a pastor, so that you know, I could never perform a gay wedding. I cannot. I can't do it. It's a violation of something in Scripture that to me is black and white, and I can't ever do it. So... If it ever got applied, pastor, if you don't do this, you lose your 501c3. I would be forced to stand up here and say, folks, either our church has to stop or can you give without the need for tax credit? That's what I'd have to say. And I'd let the decision lie wherever it lies. But to violate my conscience, I could not. Do you understand? That would apply both ways, though. Both ways. 
That's what makes this country a wonderful place to live. Listen, I want you to hear something. The United States of America is a 200-year-old blip on the radar screen of an anomaly that never happens in the world. We talk about personal freedoms and the things we enjoy. Most of the people who have ever lived never enjoyed what you and I enjoy, and most of the people today have no choice in the matter of what you and I get to choose. We live in a wonderful place, and we tend to see our culture based on, ooh, just right here and right now. Uh, let, me, let me give you the fourth one. So the first one is just simply confrontation. The second one is disengagement. The third one is to compromise. The fourth one, and this is the one I think most thinking people will go, that's where Pastor John's at. That's what he wants to teach. The, 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 the chance, the option to learn how to navigate. To navigate. That's not a dirty word. It's a wonderful word. It's a great word, way to... So let, let me just say it this way. Every generation of believers before the last 200 years has had to learn how to navigate to survive. We live in America and we, we, we measure everything over 200 years here. Little more than that. But we measure old to us is 250 Yes or no? But go to places in the world where there's 2,000 years of history. The, the United States, it's an anomaly. It was an experiment in liberty that should have never happened other than the fact God himself made it happen. So every believer before the last 200 years, in order to survive, said the pilgrims had to move around to learn how to survive. Yes or no? Did they or did they not? So uh, just think about this. So go through your mind. Expand. The first century church at times had to learn how to navigate to survive, didn't they? It was actually illegal for them to share out loud what they believed. And so they learned to draw symbols to let other believers know where they were going to be. You ever seen the little Christian fish symbol? Do you know where that comes from? 2,000 years ago, it was called the ichthus symbol. A believer would draw it on the ground, and another believer could see that and would know he was a believer, but they could erase it quickly if Roman guard came. They had to learn how to navigate. Navigate. Believers living in pagan cultures throughout history had to learn how to navigate. When they lived in Egypt, when they lived in Babylon, when they lived in Persia, now, today, when they live in China, North Korea, the Muslim Middle East, yes or no, believers have to always learn how to navigate. We live in a place where it's very unusual. You don't know how blessed you are. Daniel, Esther, Joseph, and Jesus knew how to navigate in situations. Paul said... I've learned to be what I need to be to minister to people. That doesn't mean he compromised, but it means he learned how to talk to people. He learned when to be forward. He learned when to hold back. He knew how to minister in order to reach that person right there in their culture. Maybe the most important thing you could learn is how to minister to reach people in your culture. You know, maybe, maybe the, most, um, the most incredible story I ever saw of any one person learning to do that uh, was a business guy in our church. Um, I shared a little bit of this story. He, uh, he inherits a business from his father, and it's a service industry. So all the accounts were accounts that had been there for a long period of time. And as the guy takes over the business and he's going through the accounts, he realizes one of them is an abortion provider. 
And his first thought was, do I stop service to these people? What do I do? So he actually meets with me and goes, Pastor, I, don't, I just don't know what to do. It's a violation of my conscience for this to go on, and yet at the same time, I'm in business, and what's right and what's right. That's a legitimate question to wrestle with. This is navigating. Wrestle with it. Not everything's just that easy. And if it is, I bet you're the Amish. Listen to me. <laughs> Listen to me for a second. So I sit with him, and I talk with him. I just ask him, so, you know, what, what, what do you want to see happen in this situation? Because I'd like to figure out a way to actually minister to people. So we began just to ask the Holy Spirit, how could we do this? See, here was the guy's plan. He actually did two things. And I want to give you the whole story here because it's important. He did two things. Um, he decided there were a couple of believers that worked in the, co- in the company. And when they would make the delivery to the abortion provider, uh, he sent the believers in with the product they were delivering so that the believers, as they delivered the product, could walk through the building and begin to pray over the building. And then he took all the prophets that the abortion provider was giving the company, and he donated all of that money to a place that was a women's um, adoption. It was an adoption agency, basically. And, And they needed machinery that helped to take care of children who were in stress and in need, so in, in, in reality, here's what Planned Parenthood paid for equipment that helped women have babies. That's brilliant. That, that's, that's brilliant. And, and here were two things he said to me. When we'd pull the truck to the gate, the believers that were standing out there would call our drivers the most hideous names you could believe, not understanding ever what was going on. Now, over the long period of time, listen to this. He decided, I don't want to hold this account. It got to a place in his conscience where he felt like, I can't service this account any longer, doing it the way they're doing it. So he dropped the account. That's okay, too. He wrestled with it. He got involved with it. It was messy. It was ugly. Other believers couldn't even fathom what this guy was doing. And yet, how powerful was it? And then when it got to a place in his life, he just, I, just, I just don't feel like God wants me to do it anymore. He dropped it. That's okay. Both were okay. Do you get it? He navigated. He navigated according to his conscience and according to what the Holy Spirit would have to do. Now, you sit out there today, well, I just, I just don't know. I just don't believe that. Do you know how to navigate? Here's what I'll end my message with, and maybe this is why I'm trying to teach all of this right now. Uh, if we were living in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, even the first part of the 80s, I'd say, hey, this message, maybe it's way out of step and way out of time. But I, I'm just going to say to you, um, the, the way things are going, it could get worse before it gets better for us. I just want you to hear me say it. It could get worse before it gets better. And it could get to the place where, as a believer, you may have to learn how to navigate very quickly. Your faith may be, it may cost you something to be a believer. How much is your faith worth to you? Will you hold it no matter what? Regardless of cost and consequence, what will you do? Uh, Jesus had this really awesome wisdom that he gave one time, talking to the disciples. John chapter 1, he, just, he says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. John makes that observation. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. To live in our society, look, you can be a person who's just like, here's the law, but that's from another place in time just law. Nobody can live under the law. That's why Jesus came. 
Jesus is grace and truth. Did you, did you just see that? So then the result today is, well, let's just be grace. But that Jesus wasn't just, he was grace and. You have to learn to be both things today. You have to learn when to apply grace. And you have to learn how to walk in the truth without compromising either issue, believer. You hear me? Grace and truth. All right, next couple weeks, we'll go down and look at some of the different characters, the situations they were involved in, how they actually, I think they're prophetically, represent where we're living today in our culture and in our society, and how those people responded, not only at times when they had to just hold on to their faith and they were willing to lay down their life. Look, the message of, of being a believer is far more than just hold on to your faith and be willing to lay. The message of a believer is how do I make a difference in my culture too? How do I win people for Christ? How does my faith make a difference to them? It's part of the message is laying down your life, but a lot of the message is learning how to. I think that's what this series can do. Did you learn anything today? Did it help? Okay. Father, we love you. Uh, we want to give time for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to people right now. And I realize, Lord, as we throw uh, different, different ways that people respond to things around them, um, church, listen, I, I didn't come with condemnation in my heart. While, I, while I, I, I don't have a problem standing up and sharing what's in my heart, I, I don't say it with condemnation. If you're a confrontational person, there is a place in the kingdom that, that God has made you that way. But having that be led by the Holy Spirit is important. And learning that not everything in culture is confrontation. If you're a disengaged person, if you just find it easier just to, I don't want to be a part of that America, so I'll have nothing to do with it, I, I would just simply say to you that that's not God's plan. He wants you to occupy. God, the Bible says, th this is what uh, Daniel said, prophesying about the last days, uh, God's people will carry out great exploits and do awesome things. The only way to do that is to occupy if you're a person who struggles with compromise right now, what is truth? If you're just afraid, uh, if you find yourself all grace but no truth, then I would just say to you, listen, the grace part of it, it's right, it's good. But grace without truth, man, it doesn't help. It doesn't rescue and it doesn't change. Here's what the Bible says. Truth sets free, but grace gives life. You need both of those things. You need both of those things. The last one, just the navigation idea. Where are you at on learning how to do that? Where are you at on being stretched? Where are you at on simply like, look, I, I, maybe you sit here like, we, we never talked about this that way in my grandmother's church. You're not in your grandmother's church anymore. You're in 2015. It's a different day. It's a different time. And while I hold on to truth, I'm also trying to preach what does the Bible teach us about how to navigate? How to succeed and how to reach people. Church, we've got to learn how to do that. It's that important. Just pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you right now. Put something in your heart. I pray that you don't just go home and write me off. I don't care what side of the issue you're on. Don't just go home and write me off. 
learn. Open your heart. Ask God to help you do something really powerful for him. Father, I thank you for that this weekend, all of our campuses and all that you want to do. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.